Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. Thank you for the absolute certainty that we have that he paid the penalty for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again on the third day and is seated at your right hand. These are certainties. We know that he's coming again. We long for his coming. We look with eagerness, but we do not know the when. The important thing is not the when, because the most important day is not the day he comes, it's today. How am I going to use the blessed hope of his return to affect my attitude, my motives, my actions today. I pray that you will help us to get that perspective and let it change our life because there are people out there without Christ, without hope, and without eternal life, and we are on a rescue mission. Help us to play our part. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. At the end of verse of uh, Matthew 23, verse 37, Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. This is after he has pronounced eight woes on the nation. Listen, when the creator of the universe and the redeemer of the human race proclaims eight woes against you, numbers, by the way, in Scripture are significant. What is the number seven signify? the perfection or the completeness of God's plan. If seven is the completion of God's plan or the perfection of God's plan, what is eight? New beginnings. A new beginning. So we're, we're actually moving, as I said, two days later. He's in the upper room with the disciples. He's no longer dealing with Israel. Now he is dealing with laying the foundation for the church age. A new beginning is coming. So Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. In that one verse, you have the perfect balance of divine sovereignty and human freedom. You have the same thing in Luke chapter 7 and verse 30, where it says that the scribes and the Pharisees rejected the will of God for themselves, not being baptized by John. So here Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem. He says, your house has left you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now I want you to notice, then, then is connecting what went before with what follows. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left on another that shall not be thrown down. And then verse 3, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, and we have those three questions, When, what, and how? Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Before I deal with these to start working our way through Matthew 24, I have to take you on a little bit of a trip. And the little bit of a trip goes back to the book of Ezekiel. Turn with me to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 10. Ezekiel had a vision the prophet Ezekiel was being given a foretaste of what was yet to come. 
And in his vision, he saw precisely what's happening in Matthew 23 and 24. Starting in Ezekiel 10, verse 17, when the cherubim stood still, the wheel stood still. When one was lifted up, the other was lifted up. You remember the whole thing of the wheels within wheels. Kind of reminds me of how my mind works sometimes. Verse 18, then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. And when they went out, the wheels were beside them, and they stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of God, of the God of Israel, was above them. Get the picture that Ezekiel is seeing. Ezekiel has been pronouncing judgment on the house of Israel. He's been saying, because of the hardness of your hearts, judgment is coming. He's speaking six centuries before Christ came into the world but he's anticipating the very events that we see in Matthew 23 and 24. And because judgment was coming on the house of Israel, he sees the glory of the Lord rise up from its place in the temple and go out the door of the temple and go out the east gate of the city. And then if you'll just turn to Ezekiel chapter 11, Verse 22, you can read this whole section uh, on your own and it will show you that great and horrible judgments are coming which match the eight woes of Matthew 23. But Ezekiel 11:22 picks up with the departure of the glory of the Lord when it says, Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them and the glory of the God of Israel was high above them and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain which is on the east side of the city. Perfect parallel to what's happening in Matthew 23 and 24. The Lord Jesus was in the temple. They had made their final rejection of him. He had proclaimed doom, not only on the temple, but on the entire nation. He went out the eastern gate. He went up the Mount of Olives. He sat on the Mount of Olives. And that was his last word to the nation of Israel. And this is why we pick up uh, basically with the church age in the upper room discourse. So back to Matthew 24. We now have Matthew 24 in its not only contextual setting, not only within its historical setting, but also in its prophetic setting. Jesus, the glory of God, clothed in human flesh, departed from the temple, sat on the Mount of Olives, where the disciples ask the questions, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Three questions. These things refer to the judgments that he's mentioned, not only in the 23rd chapter, but in verse 2. Not one stone will be left standing on another. What will be the sign of your coming? This is, of course, anticipating the return of Jesus Christ in the second coming, and then the end of the age. I want you to pay attention to detail and pay attention to repetition. The end of the age. What age are they talking about? 
What age are they living in? They don't even know the church exists yet. They're talking about the end of the age of Israel. This is going to become important. It's a little, it's a little key, it's a little highlight that will keep you from misinterpreting the passage later on. You'll see this come back. Don't worry. 